I want to catch you up to speed because we've been in the sermon series, uh, and uh, I know sometimes it's frustrating kind of showing up to a movie and you're partway through, but this is kind of basically where we've been for the last couple weeks, is Christians have a unique approach to identity formation, different than the rest of the world. The rest of the world would say, you know, most common advice that we get um, when we turn on the TV or when we're flipping through channels or, or, or from our friends, you know, that, that maybe uh, don't know who Jesus is yet, one of the biggest pieces of advice for how you know who you are is first, they say you need to look in first. You need to look into your feelings. You need to see kind of who you are. And then you need to kind of like figure out those things and then you need to express those things of who you are. Don't let anybody tell you who you should be. You need to figure out who you are for you, right? You be you, right? You be you. Don't let anybody tell you who you should be. So you look in, and then once you look in, then you'll be able to have eyes to see what the rest of the world is all about. And certainly then you'll be able to know and maybe understand more about who God is. And Christians have an absolutely different approach. It's different than that. The Christian says, no, no, I can't know myself apart from the one who created me. And so a Christian says, no, first, I'm going to look outward first. I'm going to look outward first. And then, and then after that, I'm going to look in. And that's going to be the place for me to be able to find my identity. Okay, so the scripture, this is where the Bible comes in because the Bible is so, so helpful. What does the Bible say about who God is? And that's going to help us know who we are. And the Bible says the strangest thing. It says that, you know, one of the things that God is like, one of the ways that we can understand who he is, it's like he's a shepherd, He's a good shepherd. And therefore, the Bible calls us sheep. It says that one of the ways to understand this whole relationship is he's a shepherd, he's a good shepherd, and we're the sheep. Now, on first glance, it'd be like, oh, that's so sweet, you know, that he just like calls us this cuddly sheep, you know, that's so nice. But as we've said these last few weeks, that's actually, it's actually not that nice. It's two things. It's, it's insulting and it's liberating. It's incredibly insulting because, uh, because as, as we've been looking through this psalm, this really, really famous psalm, Psalm 23, and, uh, and David, who wrote this psalm, he was a shepherd. And so, and many of the people that Jesus was around and talking to, and you know, just the context of a lot of the Bible, a lot of people had those sort of jobs, the agricultural jobs. So when it says that, when, when they would read, or when, when, when a prophet would say, you know, like, he's the shepherd and you're the sheep, that would have been like, it wouldn't have, been given, you, it wouldn't have given you warm fuzzies. You would have realized like, oh man, sheep are dirty. Sheep are, sheep are helpless. I mean, sheep, sheep are the most helpless animal that there is. And so on one level, it's insulting. On the other level, it's incredibly liberating. It's liberating to just admit, you know what? I, I can't save myself. Because here's the truth. Sheep need a shepherd. If you don't think that you're a sheep, then you're not going to look out to a shepherd. And this is hard for us. This is hard for us, especially as Americans. Because I don't, Americans, don't, we don't like to be called sheep. I want to be an eagle, Right? <laughs> I want, to be, I want to be something tough. I want to be a lion. I wish the Bible said those things about me. But no, it says, you know what? It's, it's like you're a sheep. And that's hard for us. It takes humility for us to admit that. We would so much rather have a cheerleader than a coach. We would so much rather have somebody say, you be you, than somebody that say, hey, you know what? There's a different way. We'd so much rather have a Sherpa than a shepherd. You guys know what a Sherpa is? A Sherpa is somebody that just like carries your stuff for you. And sometimes we treat God like that, don't we? Is God, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going in my direction. Will you just kind of like help me along? Will you kind of just carry some of my stuff? And when I need you, I'll ask for some things. But Jesus says, listen, if you treat me like a Sherpa, you're going to miss me. Because I didn't come 
to just carry your, your stuff. I came to be your shepherd. And so we've been just exploring what this whole idea looks like. And we've been spending some weeks in Psalm 23. Again, one of the, the most famous chapters in the Bible. Even if you're not, uh, you know, like if, if church is in sort of like a, an environment that, you're, that you've been a part of, or even if the Bible is really new to you, you've probably heard parts of Psalm 23. In fact, you probably have some parts memorized of Psalm 23, and you don't even know that you have it memorized. And so we've been pulling out some pieces of this really uh, famous, beautiful psalm. It's from the Old Testament. It's kind of this collection of, of songs. And, uh, and I want to read it together, okay, like we've done every week. Can we read it together? And we're going to read it out loud, okay? Is that okay? If you don't want to participate, you don't have to. I'm not going to twist your arm, but just, uh, just follow me. All right, ready to go. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. Um, this is the part that we're going to look at today, and I think it's, it's, it's tremendous. It's incredible. Let's go back to, to, to can we go to the next slide? The, the, very, the, ver, the thing that I want to talk about today is just this very first part. We're still in verse 1. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, and then the sheep says, I shall not want. Your translation might say, I, I, I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. This is incredible for, for this sheep. Remember, this is like a sheep talk. It's like boasting about its shepherd. And here's the sheep that's looking to God, the good shepherd. And this sheep says, the sheep says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I, I, I don't need anything. Essentially, the sheep is saying, this, this shepherd that I have is so good and, and the shepherd is so great that I am, this word right here, I am content. I'm content. Man, the sheep is content. Look at how content this sheep looks. <laughs> Look at how content this sheep is. Can you see it in its face? So, so content. Um, I, wish I, I wish I was like this, guys. I wish I was content like this sheep was content. Because do you know how, what I find in myself? And I have a feeling, if we're all honest, you're all in the same boat as me, that I find that I am often discontent. It is so hard for us to find contentment, isn't it? I find myself often discontent. Now, in our time and culture, it would be easy. It would be easy for us to, to say, you know why I'm so discontent? It's because of all these things right here. It's because of these. That's why I'm so discontent. And here's what I want you to know. I want you to know is that these things are not making you discontent, okay? Uh, these things aren't making you. These things are, these things are, uh, are not making you be discontent. These things are fueling. They're fueling the discontent that's already in you. That as human beings, as human beings, for, for, for forever, before there was ever any of these things, there's this thing in our heart that says, man, I don't know if what I have is enough. I think I want more. I think I want better. I think I want best. I think I want all those things. 
Those, if I could just, man, if I could just get that, oh, I'd be fine. Why am I so anxious? Man, if I could just get them, then I would be okay. And we just believe that. And these things, you know, those things don't help us at all. It just fuels it. But that thing is in us and it kills us. It kills us time and time again. Because here's, if you're like me, here's, I'm, I'm just going to, can I just be honest with you this morning? And I just have a moment of transparency. Um, here's some things about me. I know that I evaluate myself based on everybody else. I, often, I evaluate myself based on everybody else. I look at myself and I feel like, oh, man, if I could, man, look at that house. We, I went to, we went to a dinner at a friend's house this last week. They just got a new house. And it's like, dude, we want to see your new house. And we went into the new house and I was like, oh, I want that kitchen. They had four sinks in their kitchen. What do you need four sinks in your kitchen for? I don't know, but I wanted four sinks in my... I've never been in my house and thought, I want three more sinks. But suddenly I'm in their kitchen and I'm like, oh man, what I could do with four sinks. I, and then, you know, it's like, why don't I have four sinks? You know, I mean, you guys know I evaluate myself based on everybody else. And it just gets ridiculous. Well, look at what people are wearing. And like, why aren't I wearing that? I look at what people are driving. Oh, why can't I drive that? You know, I just, I do it. You know what I do it with too? And this is so sad to admit. I do it just like in my, my career in, as, as a pastor. I do it with church stuff. <laughs> it's really sad. I look, I, we have such a great church. But I look at like other churches that have like, real buildings and I'm like oh man what I wouldn't give for like a real building you know or then like there's other pastors who are like getting asked to speak at stuff and I'm like why didn't I get asked to speak at stuff and then so, and then one of my friends writes a book and I'm like when am I going to write my book you know like should I be writing a book like maybe something's wrong with me if I'm not writing a book and you guys know it's just the it's just the just the hamster wheel that I find myself on. You know, it gets even worse because not only do I just, I evaluate myself based on everybody else, I evaluate others based on everybody else. And so now I'm not even just looking at me. Now I'm looking at what you're wearing and what you're driving. And I'm like, oh my, you know, and then I'm like comparing. It's so bad. And you can just lump a whole lot of people in the others. I mean, sometimes, you know, I evaluate like my people in my family based on everybody else. Well, my wife doesn't say that or do that. I'm like, oh, this, and I start comparing. No, you know where it gets even worse? Is I evaluate my kids based on everybody else's kids. Oh, like, man, their kids potty trained at the age of two. <laughs> two months. Wow, how'd they do that? I'm like, oh, wait, your kid's already, like, reading that book? Like, wait, your kid's, like, you know, he's already got a black belt and what? And, like, wait, he's, wait, and, oh, and you're just, then, then you just start looking at my kids, like, Man, I got some, man, what's wrong with you guys, you know? And it's so sad because, I mean, my kids are awesome. But when I start evaluating my kids or my stuff or my wife or, you know, based on, based on what everybody else, you guys know. That's a recipe for discontentment. Do you know what it's a recipe for? It's a recipe, you know what it is? I got some words here. You know what it is? It's this. It's exhausting. You feel exhausted by this? It's exhausting. What's the next word? You're always going to be depressed if, if we do this. Because it's never good enough, is it? Somebody always has something better. What else is it? <laughs> yeah. It's expensive. 
It's like, man, how much are those shoes? Oh, I'm going to get me those shoes, right? Now we got to pay money for the stuff that we want to get. Uh, you know what the Bible says it is? The Bible actually talks all about this. So helpful. You might be here and you're like, man, I don't know if the Bible can be helpful with, with, with my life. Oh my gosh. I mean, this is such a practical thing that we all experience in our lives. And here comes God and he knows us. He knows you. And here's what the Bible says about this whole thing that I've been talking about. It says it's miserable. Miserable. Now, uh, one of the best places we can go to to see this is, is from the, it's in the Old Testament. It's really close to the book of Psalms that we're looking at with Psalm 23. It's from the book of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is this, we did this whole sermon series on Ecclesiastes. It was so fun. There's this guy named Solomon. And Solomon is kind of one of the main characters in Ecclesiastes, and he's writing a lot of it. And here's what you got to know about Solomon. Solomon was, he was the richest. He was the best. He was the most famous. He was, he's, he's accomplished more than any of us will ever accomplish. He's going to, he had more than any of us will ever have. And Solomon is writing this, and he's just being super honest about life and about what he's experienced. And listen to what he says, all right? This is from the book of Ecclesiastes. So helpful. He says, I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. That's a powerful, that's a big statement to make. Is he, are you making an overstatement, Solomon? I mean, he says that all, all of it, it stems from just me comparing myself with everybody else. He says, I've been around for a while and I've been checking people out and I've been looking in my own heart and here's what I know is that we compare ourselves based on everybody else and it's just, it's envy is what it is. And he says, this too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. It's like trying to take a cloud and pin it down. It's like trying to like keep a wave upon the shore. All right? You guys know where I'm going? Okay, thank you, all the people who know Sound of Music. Okay. Um, he's, he's using this word picture of how ridiculous is it to try to chase the wind? It's ridiculous because you can't do it. And then he says this, and he says, uh, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. And I love that he puts this in there because it's not like Solomon's saying like, you know, so don't try, don't, don't try. You know, he, he's, he's not saying like, uh, you know, just sit at home and just like fold your hands and watch TV because, you know, why even try to do anything in life? He says, no, 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 that's what fools do. But then he gives us this awesome nugget. He says this, he says, better uh, one handful with tranquility. <laughs> this is so good than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. This is powerful. You know what Solomon's saying here? Is he saying, he's saying, do you know what's, you know what's actually true? See, we think that if we can get two handfuls, we'll be content. But Solomon's saying, you know what? You can actually find contentment with one handful. That you don't have to have both handfuls. And in fact, Solomon's going to say throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, even when you do have two handfuls, it's never going to be enough. It's never enough. It's just going to eat you alive. It's going to cause all sorts of, you know, just anger and frustration and disappointment. And so he says, hey, you can be content. You can be tranquil, he says, even with one handful. You don't have to chase after two. And then he gets, and then it gets even better. He says this. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. And then he asked this really powerful question. He says, for whom am I toiling? Why am I working so hard? Who is this for? And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? 
This guy's got lots of money. He's doing all these sort of things. And he's like, and I'm not even enjoying it. Why am I doing this? Why am I chasing after two fistfuls to try to be content? If, 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 like I'm, if I've got everything, I've got eight handfuls. And I'm not content. And then he says, this too is meaningless. And then I love this, a miserable business. <laughs> it's just miserable. It left him miserable. It leaves us miserable. Um, not only is it miserable, just living in this like place of discontentment, but also I just want to take you one other place because it kind of hits at home. The Bible says it's not only like just a bad idea. The Bible says it's actually worse than that. It's actually, it's actually evil. Like this thing in us that's comparing and contrasting all the time. He says, the, the scripture is going to say it's evil. I'm going to take you just to jump to another place in the New Testament. This is James. And James is just like, uh, he's so practical in everything that he says. And in James 3, here's what he says. I'll just read it to you. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, he's being kind of like ironic and facetious right here. He says, such wisdom, that's not wisdom at all, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, <laughs> demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition and comparing yourself to this person and comparing your kids to those kids and comparing your spouse to those spouses and looking at your stuff and looking at everybody else and how am I doing based on everybody else. He says, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Man, James. And I mean, the scripture is really trying to read our mail right now. And it's trying to just to get us to understand like this isn't just like a bad habit, you know, like we just need to work on it. No, it's like this is deep in our hearts. That caused so much pain and frustration and dysfunction all throughout our lives. Do you ever do this? Do you ever do this at all? Because this is so sad. You know, you've got a friend, and they really are your friend. You really do love them. And uh, things are going well for them, and you're like, man, that's really great. But then something bad happens, like they, they lose the job, or they have to sell the house, or, you know, like their, their kid gets flunked from the thing, you know. And on the phone, you're like, you're like oh, that's so sad. But, you know, there's like a part of you. There's a little part of you that's like, yes. Oh, that feels a little bit good, actually. <laughs> like, it feels a little bit good just to know that they're not so perfect. And it makes me feel just a little bit better about where I am in life. Do, I mean, am I like, I feel like I'm out on a limb here and nobody else is, I didn't see any head nods or like anybody, everybody's like, no. Mark is like, no, never, never me. <laughs> okay, I'm out on a limb on this one. Um, but that, you know that thing in you? Man, what is that? It's just wrong. It's just wicked. What do we do about it? Okay, I'm going to make a turn right now because we've got to know what are we going to do about it. Because here's what we know, and you know all this, is that when, the more we compare, the less satisfied we are. The more we compare, the less satisfied we are. And then also, you know this too, but i just got to tell you, it's really hard to compare each other and love one another at the same time. It's really hard to compare one another and love one another at the same time. So this sort of envy, this comparing, it just breaks apart community. Communities like ours just breaks it, breaks it apart. That's one of the reasons why it's so hard for you to make friends. 
For some of you, it's so hard for you to make friends because everything's a competition for you. Everything's a competition. And you're just wondering, like, why don't, you know, what's wrong? Why can't I find friends? It's just because, it's because this is in you. Okay, okay. What are we going to do about it? Why is this sheep so content? I mean, look at it. Why is this sheep so content? How in the world can this sheep say? And how in the world could we ever say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not compare. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I have found contentment in him. How do we get there? Uh, well, we have to discover, you know, what this whole, this, whole, this whole chapter, Psalm 23, is about it. And there's this secret that the sheep has learned that we need to learn. Here's the secret. And it's not going to be a surprise to you. It's going to be a reminder to many of us. But here's the secret, is we have to remember that contentment isn't about more. You're never going to find it with more. Contentment isn't about better the better house, the better car, the better spouse, whatever it is, like that's not where contentment is going to be found. Contentment isn't about best, having the best whatever, you just fill in the blank. Contentment cannot be found in any of those places, and here's why. is because contentment isn't about a what at all. It's about a who. It's not about a what at all. It's about a who. And who's the who? The sheep has learned, because it's admitted that it's a sheep, because it, because it can't, like, cause grass to grow, like, a, a, a sheep can't, like, dam up a stream so that, like, so it can get the water that it needs to drink. Like, a sheep is directionally challenged. It doesn't know, like, where the best fields are. It's going to run away from the valley, even though the valley might be the best route to get to better pastures. It, it just has acknowledged that it doesn't know all those things. And so the sheep has just gotten to a place where it says, you know why I can say that I lack nothing? It's because the first part of the sentence, because the Lord is my shepherd. And if you were here last week, we just unpacked how Jesus steps onto the scene and he says, listen, you can trust me. You know why? Because I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. But here's the secret to contentment. And I know it doesn't seem like a, like a brain buster. Like we kind of already, we kind of know. But we just need to know, no. It needs to go from here to here. That the sheep can say, I lack nothing. Because the sheep is just in a place where it says, listen, I, I can't trust in like stuff. I can't, the thing that isn't going to make, the thing that's going to make me content isn't the grass the thing that's going to make me content isn't the water. The thing that's going to make me content isn't any of those things. The things that are going to make me content is the fact that I have a good shepherd and he's enough for me. I can trust him. That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear because he's with me. Because I know that no matter what happens, whether the grass is green or whether the grass is brown, that I've got a good shepherd. See, contentment isn't about a what. It's about a who. It's about acknowledging that I've got this God who, who loves me. And no matter what, 
He's never going to leave me. When that's enough for you, it's amazing what happens when you start looking at your stuff. When you start looking at the things around you, all those things are good, all these things around you, but, but you can look at them and say, but I don't need you to find my security. I don't need you to, to, for me to be somebody because I'm all, I know I'm already somebody. Why? Because I have a good shepherd. Um, it's a good question for us to ask at this point. Let's pause. Here's a good question to ask. See, the sheep has learned that it can't trust what the, sh- what the shepherd provides. That's not where, where contentment comes. The, the, the contentment comes from the fact that he's got a shepherd. And so we have to ask our questions. Where does your trust lie? Does your trust lie in the good shepherd? Or does your trust lie in the things that the good shepherd provides? Meaning, like, what, where, where's your true hope? Like, what do you love truly? Do you love the shepherd or do you just love what the shepherd gives you? It's a penetrating question. Do I love God because of God's sake or do I love God because he gives me friends in a community? And that's really the thing that I love. I, I, do I love God or do I just love, you know, that, that he like provides some stuff for me? Like really, what, where do, where does the, where's the basement of my heart? It's a penetrating question for all of us. Because if we, don't, if we don't wrestle with that question, then suddenly we can f- find ourselves just essentially using God for what he provides and loving those things and not loving him for him. And so therefore then, you know, we say, hey God, basically our arrangement is, hey God, I love you, but I'll love you as long as you don't give me cancer. I'll love you as long as you don't give anybody in my family cancer. Because if that happens, then, then I don't know if I can love you. And we get into these arrangements. And if we do that, we're going we're gonna to miss so much of what the good shepherd has for it. It's not about more. It's not about better. It's not about best. It's about who. Um, do, you know why, uh, do you know why sheep wander? wander? It's because of this. is when the, when the shepherd isn't enough, the sheep wanders. When the shepherd's not enough, the sheep wanders. We used to have this, this uh, hymn that we used to sing. In fact, I think we sang it here just like a couple months ago. There's an old hymn that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the one that I love. That sheep are prone to wander. And why do sheep wander? I mean, they can't see that far. You know what I mean? They're pretty low to the ground. So it's not like they're like, you know, looking at yonder pastures out there. Uh, I mean, sheep wander because they're usually, does this work? Okay, like this. Sheep are looking right here. And what are they looking for? They're looking for grass. And You know, if this grass is empty, it's like, oh, here's more. Oh, and here's more. And then pretty soon they're off, far off away from from the safety and everywhere they should be. Why? Because they're following their appetites. They're following their desires, following their appetites. Oh, I can preach this right now. I can preach this this morning. Because why are we so prone to wander? When the shepherd's not enough, you know what we do? We just follow our appetites we follow our desires. We follow our cravings. Those become our shepherd. <laughs> and do you, know where that will, do you know where that leads us? You know where that leads you. We, we could all have stories. I could give you this microphone, every single one, and we could all come up here and tell our story about those seasons in our life where we just followed our appetites, where we just followed our desires, and we would all have the same story. We would say, man, it did not lead me to contentment. In fact, it led me to a place where I was more dry than ever before. 
appetites are not a good shepherd for you because they can never be satisfied. You know, do you know that about appetites? Contentment cannot be found in quenching appetites. You guys know that. Contentment can't be found in quenching appetites. You know why? Here's why. It's because appetites are never, ever, ever quenched. It's the nature of an appetite. That's the whole point of an appetite. You can't quench an appetite. I've got, I've got a, a confession to make, and I feel like I'm confessing a lot this morning. Can you just kind of like come my way on this one? Because I know you can feel me, but I've got this, I've got this problem. I am never, I am always hungry. Anybody? Anybody with me? I am always hungry. I'm like, I've got a problem. I'm, I'm hardly ever full. I could just keep eating and eating and eating. Christy will make, she's so smart and she's so good at just leading so many things in our house. She makes these big, big meals because the point is you take the leftovers and you use them for tomorrow. Now you have lunch for tomorrow. Now you have maybe even dinner for tomorrow. Now you freeze part of it and you save it for another meal. But like that just doesn't work in my house (laughs) because there's all this food and I'm like, man, I'll just have another plate. I'll just eat more and more and more. And you'll go to a restaurant. I'll go to Olive Garden and eat all of the breadsticks. And I'm full even like, like before the meal comes. But I still finish the meal because like I'm cheap. And I'm not going to let that money go to waste, you know. And so then, I'm, and then I tell myself I'm never going to eat again. And I come home. And what's one of the first things I do? I like look in the fridge. I'm like, what's in here? I'm never full. And you're never full. And you know what? The same is true for all of your appetites. It's never enough. It's never, nothing's ever enough because they're appetites. The same is true with money. The same is true with fame. The same is true with sex. The same is true with, with, with power and control. Just, you just fill in the blank, whatever you want to fill in the blank. Listen, it's, it's never going to get quenched. And so why do we think that if I could just get that, or if I could just get more, or if I could just get best, or if I could just get better, then I'll, then I'll finally be content. Listen, it's never enough. That's why the sheep wanders. That's why I wander. That's why you wander. So I want to lead you in a little exercise. I'm going to get real practical now, okay? I'm t- turning the corner. Now I want to just, in my last few minutes, I want to get really practical on what do you do with this like discontentment that we feel, okay? We've already got the big idea. It's not a what, it's a who? It's about a who, right? We have a good shepherd, okay? But there's some practical things. But, so I want to lead you through a little exercise. It'll be fun. It'll be freeing for some of you, okay? So um, there's this phrase that I want you to say, and we're going to say it over and over again. And, uh, and then, when, you know, when you encounter, like, stuff in, in your life, then this is like a phrase that I just want you to say. You can look at anything, basically anything, and you can look at it, and you can say this. You can say, you know what? In fact, I usually don't do repeat after me's, but if you want to humor me this morning, just, re- just repeat after me. Say, you know what? You'll never satisfy me. Okay, that's good. Let's try it again. You know what? You got to say it with a little attitude though, okay? You know what? You're never going to satisfy me. Man, this, is gonna be, this is powerful. This is powerful. Let's, so let's try it. Let's try it together. Let's say this. Let's do this first picture. You know what, chocolate cake? Okay. You're never going to satisfy me. Okay. All right, right? It feels good, doesn't it? Like, hey, come on, chocolate cake. You're never going to satisfy me. All right? You're not enough for me. Okay, what else? This is fun. See? Hey, you know what, car? You're, you're never going to satisfy me. It feels good, doesn't it? 
you're not, you're not enough for me. Okay, this is great. I'm setting some people free today. This is, this is good. You know what, cash money? Come on. You, you're, you're never going to satisfy me. This is powerful, isn't it? Because, man, you know how much power this has in our lives? And we just think, man, if I could just get that, I'll finally be satisfied. I'll have enough. And it's just causing you to kill yourself. You're exhausted. You're depressed. And so it's, it's a powerful thing. If you can pull out your wallet sometimes, and you pull out your credit card maybe, and you, you know what? You're, you're not enough for me. You know what that does? It frees you. Now, like, you can enjoy your credit card, and you can enjoy your cash, and you can use it for the stuff you need it, but you don't put so much pressure on it anymore. It's not the thing that's going to give you a hope and an identity. It wasn't made for that. It's a tool. It's not an identity. It's not, a, it's not what gives you value and hope. So you can look at your money, and you can say, you know what, money? You know what, cash money? You're not going to satisfy me. What else? You know what, fame? You're not going to satisfy me. You know what, wine? Wine. Wine's great, but wine, you're not going to satisfy me. What else? Oh, this is fun, isn't it? Hey, Netflix. I like you, Netflix. But you are not going to satisfy me. You're not enough for me. What else? Hey, Chris. Chris. You're not going to do it. You're not enough. You're not enough. You're never going to be enough, Chris. Let's move on. Oh, this is good. White sandy beach vacation. This one's tough, isn't it? This one's real tough. But see how freeing it is? Because how awesome, how would we love, we'd all love to be there, right? This is good, right? This is God's good gift to us to be here. And I hope that we all get to sit in that hammock someday and just rest But do you know what? Even that, even how wonderful and beautiful that is, guess what? Guess what? Guess what? It's not not enough. It can't fully and finally satisfy you. So enjoy it. But don't put so much weight on it. You're not going to find it there. What else? This one's tough for me. You know what? European vacation? You're not going to be enough. But this one's a Brooks Rice one, okay? (laughs) Because I feel like that's like my love language right there. European vacation. I feel like I got a few more. Maybe I'm going to hit somebody today. Here we go. What's the next one? Oh, yeah. Oh, this one's big. Hey, you know what, kids? See, this is powerful. Hey, my kids, you know what, kids? I love you. But you're not here on this earth to satisfy me. See, if your kids are in your life and you're using them to to satisfy you, to fill something in you, you will crush them. You'll crush them. That's not for them to bear. That's not a weight for them. They're not there for your identity. And that's a powerful thing when you can look in your kids, you can say, okay, kids, I love you, and therefore I'm not using you. It's hard to love someone and use them at the same time. And so you can say, hey, kids, guess what? You're never going to satisfy me. That's a powerful thing. I'm not looking to you for my satisfaction. Let's go on. Hey, you know what? Local church, you aren't enough for me. This is a big one, too, because sometimes we expect the church, we expect the people serving our kids, we expect the pastor to be like the main shepherd that cares for all the needs. And listen, I know that I'm like a little shepherd over this flock, but like you're not the sheep in my flock. We're all the sheep in his flock. So we look to him. We don't look to, because to, listen, I will always, I'm, I'm going to disappoint you. <laughs> I'm not that great of a shepherd. All right? 
You can't look at your local church and say, you know, if only, man, then I, no, listen, you can look at your local church and say, listen, you know what? You're great. I love you, Westside, but you're never enough. Do I have one more? I don't even know if I do. Is that the last one? Okay. You know, we could fit some more things in there. Hey, marriage, not, you're not, you're not, you can't satisfy me. You just fill in the blank. You see how powerful it is? So, so good. See, the sheep has learned something. The sheep has learned. The sheep can say, I lack nothing because the sheep knows that it's got a good shepherd. The sheep can say, I lack nothing because the sheep knows that it can trust the shepherd more than it can trust its own desires and appetites. The sheep can say, I lack nothing because the sheep has put more trust in where the shepherd leads than where the sheep thinks that it should go by itself. The sheep can say, I lack nothing because the sheep knows that no matter what happens, that it has a good shepherd and that good shepherd is enough. It's enough, it's enough, it's enough. Okay, <clears throat> practically. Oh, I'm gonna do these quick, all right? I'm just gonna blow through. Listen, here's some contentment tips, all right? These are real practical tips, contentment tips. Number one, choose to cheer. Choose to cheer. Sometimes you just gotta choose. If you've got a friend and it's like, it's like, man, there's something in you that just wants to like, wants to glory in them like failing at something, you know? Because it just makes you feel better. Sometimes you just have to, you just cheer. Man, those four sinks are the most amazing sinks ever. Oh my gosh, and you just cheer, you just cheer, you just cheer. Sometimes we just choose to cheer, and that's helpful. Next, count your blessings, not your neighbors. Have you heard that before? Count your blessings, not your neighbor's blessings. Um, we just went berry picking yesterday, blueberry picking. We got tons of blueberries. We made a blueberry pie. I served up two equal-sized pieces to my two boys. I thought they were equal-sized, but, but one of my kids is looking at the other one. And he's like, he has four more blueberries than I do. And I'm like, how do you know there's like 80 blueberries in your piece? I mean, you can't count all of them. How do you know there's like four more? It's just, it's bigger. And here they are. They have a big slice of blueberry pie in front of them. And yet just so concerned about how many blueberries is on brother's plate. And it's like, come on, just don't count your neighbor's blessings. Count your own blessings. Next, cultivate gratitude for those blessings. Just cultivate gratitude. Just thankfulness. This comes out with how we pray often. So sometimes when I pray to God, you know what I start with so often, and, it's, and it just bugs me because I just always go to this? I usually just start when I pray with just like the asking for stuff part. I usually just start with like, God, okay, here's what I need, here's what I need, here's what I need. And sometimes when I'm in my right mind and when I've thought it through, it's like, man, that's the worst place to start. The best place to start prayer is gratitude, thankfulness. God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You cultivate gratitude, and it shrinks that discontentment. Next is strategically keep your head down. Strategically keep your head down, meaning that for some of us, you might be, have to be strategic about what cars you're looking at, and like maybe you know Instagram is just a bad place for you to be, or maybe there are seasons where you just need to get off of Facebook, or I don't know. I mean, that's not a legalistic thing. Like, if you're fine on those, on those platforms, just go there. But maybe for you, you just know, hey, in this area, I got to keep my head down. That's going to help my heart. Last, always keep your head up. <laughs> always keep your head up. Um, I'll, I'll close with this. Is, uh, you know, uh, I, I've shared about this. There's this article. It's, a, it's, like, a, it's like an essay that C.S. Lewis wrote. It wasn't in one of his books, and it's, but it's the most powerful little essay I think I've ever read by him. It's called The Inner Ring. The Inner Ring is the name of this story. 
And what C.S. Lewis says is that our biggest drive as human beings, like our biggest need is to, be, is to belong, is to be accepted. And so what we do is we look around to these like social rings around us and we so desperately want to be a part of that group and we so desperately want to be a part of that team and we feel like I'm not somebody unless I'm a part of that inner ring and part of that little circle. And so, and so, but here's what happens. I get into that ring and then I discover that it's not as great as I thought it was gonna be. And then, you know what it does? I feel pr- proud for being in that ring and I look down my nose at all the people who aren't in my particular ring. But then there's always like another ring that's better than the ring I'm in and it just eats you alive. And C.S. Lewis says this, is that he says that this quest to find the inner ring will always leave you disappointed and always leave you dry. And the only way to break its power, the only way to break its power on your life is to know this, that God himself has an inner ring. And in this inner ring is this incredible mystery of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And through Jesus and because of his love for you, do you know what he has done? He has invited you into the only ring that really matters. He's invited you into the only ring that's truly big enough to fully and finally satisfy you. You belong. You belong. You belong to him. Like that song we sang this morning, I am yours and you are mine. You belong to him. And when you realize that, when you look up into knowing that you are accepted and loved, now it breaks the power of me trying to find it everywhere else. It's not about a what, rather, it's about a who.